It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everyone. Welcome again to the Pipeline Podcast. As always, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com joining myself, Tim McMaster. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about Dansby Swanson's debut with the Braves and whether or not the timing is right to have Swanson in Atlanta. We'll also take a look back at the Perfect Game All-American Classic and also a great summer for the U.S. Collegiate National Team. We'll get an update on who really stood out for that squad as well. But we kick things off with a special guest this week. Nick Senzel joins us, of course, the number two overall pick by the Reds back in the June draft, currently playing for the Dayton Dragons. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be on. All right, Nick, I guess the first question I have for you is you go from Tennessee, then you're drafted, obviously sign the contract, then the Reds send you to Billings, and then quickly on to Dayton. I mean, it's been uh, kind of a crazy summer for you. How have you kind of stayed calm through it all and kind of dealt with all the change? Yeah, it's been pretty fast-paced. You know, there hasn't been uh, a lot of time to to catch my breath, but... uh... You know, after uh, after getting drafted, you know, I went to Billings and then, you know, was there for only about a week and a half and then went to Dayton. Um, and I've been here for almost two months. So um, the journey has been exciting so far. Um, but, you know, since you're playing every day, um, you know, I mean, in every single day, um, it's, it's pretty easy to focus on the baseball aspect of things because, um, you know, you, you wake up and, you go to the field, and, and once you're at the field, that's you know your mind your mind takes over uh, in the baseball aspect of things. So, you know it's, it's been it's been really fast paced, and you know, and it's crazy to think that uh, you know my first stint is almost almost over. You know, about have about two and a half weeks left, so it's uh, it's gone by fast, but it's definitely been uh, exciting so far. Nick, uh, you know, after those 10 games in Billings, you, you go to the full season ball, you know, facing a, a lot of guys who have been playing for maybe for a little bit longer. Uh, first, how excited were you to get the chance to, to, to move that quickly to, to full season ball? And, and it seems that the transition has gone pretty well based on, on the numbers. What, uh, what has worked for you in terms of making such a quick adjustment to, you know, not just pro ball, but, you know, playing every single day? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when I got to Billings, I, I, I had not, I hadn't seen, I hadn't played a game in about three weeks, three and a half weeks, because uh, our, our, at the University of Tennessee, we got done pretty quickly. Um, so it, I, I, I was able to work out and hit and stuff before the draft and before I got to Billings, but I was not, I wasn't able to play. I, I, I wasn't around the game, like the game setting, the nine inning game. Uh, you know, wasn't facing a live arm. Um, you know, I, I was hitting with wood, but um, you know, I still I wasn't able to play in a game. Um, so it took me a little bit of time to get in the rhythm of things, to get some timing down, and uh, you know, to switch over to wood, the wood bat. Um, and uh, you know, I struggled early on. 
Um, and uh, I, I, to me, I, w- I wasn't really get down at all because you know I knew I, I was still I was still getting used to uh, to getting in the rhythm of things. Um, and then you know they sent me to Dayton, and uh, I was surprised and, and shocked. But you know that's what they wanted me to do, and I felt like the transition was 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 nice because I came with uh, I came with Chris and I came with another teammate that I knew very well. And uh, I thought that hitting-wise at this level, you know, pitchers have a little bit better plan of what they're trying to do, throwing more strikes um, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, when the pitchers throw more strikes and, uh, and, and know what they're going to do, uh, you've got a, be- a better idea of, of, of what you want to do at the plate. Nick, getting back to you, you talking about the layoff you had between the, the early end of your season and then the draft. What was it like waiting for the draft to come? You know, a lot of college guys, you know, you're, you're busy with conference tournaments or maybe the regionals, and then you kind of have your mind on other things. With, with a couple weeks off to think about it, were you trying to monitor what was being said or written about you? Were you working out for teams? How exactly did you fill that two weeks between the end of the draft? And, and did you think uh, – did you have an inkling you were going number two before it happened? When did you find that out? Uh – Honestly, I was looking at you guys as mock drafts. Well, we've had you going number two, so. <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, when the season ended and it was uh, such a long, uh, it, it was quite some time before the draft, you know, I, you know, I just had to try to keep myself busy and keep myself in shape and in baseball shape because, uh, uh, you know, it was about three weeks until – uh, you know, two, three weeks before the draft. Um, so it was, uh, it was just trying to keep myself busy. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly, when, when you kept having my name go two to the Reds, I was like, well, that's, uh, this is so weird because the Reds haven't talked to me throughout this whole thing. And I was like, well, when, uh, you know, when money, I got selected and, uh, you know, my agent called me and said, you know, you're going to the Reds. I was, I was pretty grateful um, and surprised at the same time. So it's uh, it, it was an exciting day, but uh, the, the layover was, was quite a long time, but it was worth the wait. Uh, Nick, a little bit later on in our podcast, we're going to be talking about Danzy Swanson. He just got called up. And you look at him and, and Alex Bregman, you know, a couple guys you competed against uh, in, in the SEC, make it up to the big leagues in their first full year of pro ball. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to look ahead too much, but you know, being that you've gone to full season ball, are you, you know, kind of hopeful that maybe you can be, if not, you know, jump to the big leagues in your first year of pro ball, maybe on a, a little bit uh, of, of a faster track as the, that kind of advanced college hitter that sometimes can move quickly through a minor league system. Yeah, I mean, you're you're always hopeful when you see those guys, you know, uh, Bregman, Swanson, and Ben Attendee. Uh, you know, you know, get there their, you know, their first full year. You know, as, as a player and as a college hitter, you know, that makes you hungry to, to get up there. Um, you know, but uh, you know, I feel like they're, you know, different organizations have different plans, and uh, uh, you know, whatever their plan is, you know, you have to trust the process. Um, but at the same time, you know, you want to do well. You want to do well at every level you you're in, and and you know, you know, move up, you know, 
fast as you can, but you know, you you know, whatever the plan is within your organization is where you're going to follow. But uh, yeah, now seeing those guys and you know, uh, you know, make it up there is you know, definitely as a player and definitely as a guy that competed against them makes makes you hungry to to make it up there and uh, you know, what an achievement and what a quick achievement for those guys. Nick, I want to ask you about about your approach. Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of scouts about you over the course of the spring, and, and and that was something that kept coming up was, you know, that you were a gifted hitter. But guys also marveled at the fact, you know, there was a lot of draft attention focused on you, especially after big summer in the Cape Cod League. And sometimes guys will fall into what scouts call draftitis and swing for the fences and, and get away from what they do naturally. And scouts raved about the fact that you didn't do that. And on the Tennessee club, you got pitched around at times. But instead of, of chasing out the zone, trying to make something happen, if pitchers wouldn't challenge you, you would take your walks. How difficult is it to to stay patient and stay true to that approach? Because it seems like that's something that, that, that you do very well at. Yeah, no, I, you know, I'm starting to experience a little bit here as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just part of the game. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, at Tennessee, uh, it, I was – it was helpful that I had two guys around me that, you know, had 50-plus RBIs too. And and I, in my thought process, is if they want to pitch around me, well, then I got to get to these other two guys. Um, you know, there's no sense of me – you know, trying to get too big or, or trying to do, trying to be a hitter that I'm not, that I'm not. Um, you know, I've always thought of, about it. You know, I feel like I've had the same swing since I've, I've been about 10 years old. And, and I, I, I think the more competition and the more, you know, the, the throughout the years I've, I, I, you know, I've gotten more knowledgeable as a player and, you know, playing in the SEC, playing in the Cape Cod, you know, you face, you know, you face those good arms, uh, you know, every every day. So it's it's helped me with you know better pitch recognition, better plate discipline. Um, you know, and and throughout the season, I I didn't really ever feel like there was going to be a target on my back. You know, I always just stepped in there like you know we were going to play baseball, and you know if they pitched around me, they did, and if they didn't, they didn't. Um, but uh, you know, I always knew that I had, I had guys around me that 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 could handle. Uh, handle it when I when, when they threw around me. All right, Nick Senzel, thanks so much for joining us here on the Pipeline Podcast. Great stuff, uh, guys. Thank him as well. But Nick, thanks so much. Good luck the rest of the way with Dayton, and of course, as you make your way through the minor leagues. All right, thanks, guys. And guys, some really great answers there from Nick Senzel. You brought up the point that Dansby Swanson was drafted just a year ago. Senzel drafted this year, which gives us a perfect transition into Dansby Swanson. He's now made his Major League debut with the Braves, called up on Wednesday. He went two for four in that debut. Looks solid at the plate. So I'm going to start with the question for both of you of what exactly are we going to see from Dansby Swanson, because I know there's some question marks about the timing of the call-up. But, Jim, I'll start with you because you're the guy that compares him to Derek Jeter. What do you expect to see here from Dansby Swanson? Well, you know I have to qualify that comparison, even though I do keep throwing it out. 
I do think he is a similar type of hitter. I'm not saying he's going to have 3,000 hits, but I think he can be a Derek Jeter-type offensive performer. And he's probably – I personally think Derek Jeter was overrated as a defender. So all the Yankees fans who, who liked me for rating their farm system high can hate me now. I think Dansby Swanson can actually be a better defender than Derek Jeter, but I'm not saying he's going to be a better player than Derek Jeter. But he's throwing the charisma. There's, there's, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, I mean, this guy was the number one overall pick in the draft for a reason. Uh, it's funny, the, the, the day after uh, he makes his debut, there's a story uh, on a website uh, where John Heyman talked to Dave Stewart, who thinks he's you know, had, you know done a better job than people think, uh, which was kind of ironic timing. But, uh, no, I mean, this is a guy who's going to play a quality shortstop. It appears the Braves are going to go with him at shortstop and move Ozzy Albies to second base, which is fine. And I think he's going to fit very nicely at the top of their line up eventually. He's going to hit for average. He's going to have double-digit home run power. He can steal a few bases. And like I said, I mean, anybody who's ever talked to this guy, his charisma is off the charts as well. He's a local product from the Atlanta suburbs. I think he's going to be the face of this Braves franchise in very short order. Obviously, Jonathan, this is a franchise that wants him to be the starting shortstop on opening day in 2017. How much is that part of this decision to get him a couple extra weeks? I guess you knew you'd see him in September, but now he comes up in mid-August, gets him a little more time in the major leagues to prep for a year from now. Yeah, I guess that's the the main reason to to, to do it now. Uh, I mean, and they were able to, to work out that to trade to, to deal Eric Ibar. I, I don't, you know, I wasn't necessarily, you know, I guess it made sense that they would call him in September, but he's not on the 40-man roster. It's not like he, you know, was really knocking on the door loudly in terms of his performance. Uh, so uh, under other circumstances, I could have seen them not bringing him up, um, although for him to get a feel of what it's like. I, I think that's going to be the biggest positive, aside from whatever numbers he puts up uh, and some some electricity that he adds uh, you know, to to the lineup and and you know to home games and things of that nature is just him getting a feel for what it will take for him to be the everyday guy starting next year. And uh, you know, Jim mentioned uh, his makeup and his charisma. I mean, he's going to take over that infield sooner rather than later, and he's not going to be overwhelmed by the situation. You know, uh, everyone knows the expectations. He's a former number one pick. Uh, it was traded the first time you know that that had happened uh, you know during the off season everything that goes along with it he's the local kid uh he is not going to be afraid of the situation uh, he's not going to be a deer caught in the headlights uh so i think that even if he doesn't you know put up big numbers or, or doesn't hit that much he's going to play good defense he'll run the bases he'll you know have good on base skills and he's going to learn a whole heck of a lot and and use those lessons to be more prepared for for next year uh, when I think it, uh, it's going to matter even more for him to sort of step up and, and, and be, start being the guy that uh, the Braves hoped he would be when they traded for him. There are different ways to kind of to look at this. Talking to Mark Bowman, our Braves writer here at MLB.com earlier in the week, and he said, it appears that the Braves marketing department and baseball operations department are in sync and basically getting to the point that, hey, they'd also love to see some extra fans at the games here over the last six weeks of the season. So maybe there's a little of that as well. But on the other side, guys, it, it does start as clock as well. What about that and the, you know, looking ahead to arbitration and free agency and all of that, Jim? Yeah, I didn't like that. And I'll even question, 
Hey, I mean, how, how many fan, how many extra fans is Dansby Swanson really going to drive to the ballpark after he's been up for a week? I mean, it's not like this is a guy who's hitting 450-foot homers. Uh, you know, boy, they, they really came out last night. They drew 19,000 fans to see his big league debut. So I don't think it's going to have much effect on attendance. And I would not have started a service clock you know, ticking. This is not promoting Alex Bregman to a team that's in the playoff race and you're trying to fill a hole and upgrade the big league team. The move that would have made the most sense with Dansby Swanson is to call him up three or four weeks into next season so you delay his free agency a year. Now, you know, you, you could even look at the fact that he was not tearing up double-A. I, I don't think, you know, we talked about his charisma and his makeup. I don't think he's going to have any problems handling the jump to the big leagues. I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed. I think even if he, he struggled this year, I don't think it's going to stun his career. I think he's going to be fine. But it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And just further touching on the, on the market angle, what if – Dansby Swanson, he's already off to a better start than Alex Bregman, who started one for 32. But what if Dansby Swanson gets off to a slow start and he's six for 40? Well, then I almost say that it hurts your marketing because if I'm a Braves fan who doesn't necessarily know a ton about Dansby Swanson, I might be saying this is the guy they're touting is the future of the franchise. Oh, why am I going to go to a game? So I just, I don't, I don't really see a lot of upside to promoting him now, and. I think it's silly to let the opening of a new ballpark next year dictate when you're going to bring guys to the big leagues. I'll be honest, I wouldn't bring Ozzy Alves to the big leagues in September, which seems to be the plan. These guys don't need to be on the opening day roster next year. The Braves are going to be terrible next year, too. You know, Think about what's best for the long-term future of the team. Get these guys some more. You know, Dancy Swanson hasn't played in AAA. Ozzy Alves has played you know, about two months in AAA. You know, I let these guys, you know, finish this year in AAA and begin next year in AAA and then call them up. I mean, that said, I mean, I love them both as prospects, but I just think long term it doesn't make a lot of sense to bring these guys up now. Jonathan, any final thoughts on Dansby Swanson? Yeah, I mean, I agree with much of what uh, Jim said in terms of the sort of curious nature, you know, the, the, the timing of this. I guess, you know, you know, Swanson and Albies, they played together in spring training. They developed the bomb. They were roommates. Uh, you know, then they, they ended up sort of reuniting in double A and were playing together there. If you're going to call Swanson up, you might as well call Albies up in September and let them play second and, and give them some time together as a double play combination at the big league level. Uh, you know, in, in some ways, uh, you know, Albies has produced more, even though he struggled at first when he got to triple A, uh, then started hitting and then got sent back down to play alongside uh, Swanson, which is, I thought, something they should have done from, from the get-go rather than have them uh, separate. So, you know, and you know, Alpes is younger. I mean, I know he's played pro ball for longer. So, uh, you know, everything Jim said make, makes a whole lot more sense to me, especially given where the Braves are. Yes, I know everyone is looking towards the future in Atlanta. Uh, you talk to Braves fans, they just want to talk about prospects now. Uh, you know, I get tweets and messages about their 25 to 30 guys um, on their top 30. So everyone's paying attention to that probably more than they have. So they're aware of Dan, you know, more aware of the Dansby Swansons and the Ozzy Albies, heck, the Rio Ruizes and the Patrick Weigels, you know, the, down at the bottom of the top 30 than they ever have before. So I think they feel that they're plugging into that excitement and giving fans a glimpse of what that future might look like.
We go from the Braves' number one prospect to a slew of prospects with the Yankees because the youth movement certainly underway in the Bronx. Aaron Judge, Tyler Austin, Gary Sanchez, all having a big impact on the Major League Club. Uh, Judge and Austin, historically, they both make their Major League debut together, and they're the first players ever, guys, to homer in their first big league at-bat back-to-back. There's something for you. Uh, Gary Sanchez, meanwhile, hit his fifth home run of the season on Wednesday night. So I know we were going to see all these guys after the trade deadline. Uh, you don't know how everybody's going to react to being up in the big leagues. Jonathan, I'll start with you. Have these guys been better than advertised so far? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to say that. Uh, you know, starting with, with Sanchez, I think we all knew that he he had power. Uh, he's always shown power. Um but he has swung the bat extremely well uh, since he, he's been called up. And I think the, the Yankees have made the right decision to kind of make him the, the primary catcher. Uh, doesn't mean he's going to catch every single day. You know, he, he DH'd the other day, obviously. he's not. Gonna, but to get him as many reps as possible so they can see how that is working. He's, you know, he's improved that part of his game, but that's what needs the most work. Uh, and getting him regular at bats uh, because he's swinging the, the the bat very well at eight extra base hits of his first 18 hits in 50 at bats, uh, and then you know Judge uh, was red hot right before he got called up and he just carried it over. Um, so uh, small sample sizes, obviously, but a very encouraging start. Uh, and you know. Interesting to see you know, the Yankees making these decisions to, uh, you know, to 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 go with the with the young guys uh, now when they were still playing halfway decently. You know, I think a few years back they would have said, "No, we're we're going for it and we're trying to make the playoffs." But they realized that this is what they need to do, and uh, they're being treated to to you know at least glimpses early on of 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 what the the future Yankees are going to look like. Yeah, and I guess this is kind of what can happen if you give these guys a chance. They've actually continued to play pretty good baseball, have the Yankees. Um, as far as the rankings go, Judge, the top prospect of the group, number four in the Yankee system, Sanchez, number five. Obviously, this is a Yankee system, Jim, that, that you have very recently given a lot of props to with the rankings and everything like that. Uh, as far as these three guys go, though, how does Austin kind of fit into the mix? Because he's not that top ten prospect like the other guys are. No, his career has kind of taken some detours, but it's funny. He was actually going to be on the midseason update until they, they made the Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller and uh, uh, Carlos Beltran trades, uh, and he just got pushed off. But, I mean, you talk to people in the Yankee system, his bat speed and his pure hitting ability are probably as good as just about anybody's in the system. I mean, he's a better pure hitter than Sanchez or Judge. It's just his problem has been staying healthy. Uh, you know, when he was his first full season or first year in full season ball in 2012, he was the Yankees minor league player of the year, and he's just had a hard time staying healthy since then. He's done a better job this year. He's already set a career high in games played, uh, counting, or he's just about to set a career high in games played with, with more than a month and a half to go in big league season. And, you know, and then lo and behold, he stays healthy and he starts hitting the ball consistently again. Uh, he, he's got some power, not like Judge and, and Sanchez, who are, you know, probably 25 home run types. You know, Austin's probably more of that 15 home run guy. You know, does he hit for enough power to, to really be a long-term first baseman? 
Uh, Jerry might be out on that a little bit. He he might be more of that kind of first base, corner outfield, useful, you know, utility platoon type. But but he can really hit, and you know, the, he, he's going to give them more than the, the Yankees were have been getting out of Mark Teixeira for most of the season. As he gets at bat, you know, Teixeira's just been banged up and showing his age. And and I think if Tyler Austin got to play regularly, uh, he'd be the best first baseman for the Yankees right now, long term. You know, they, they may go in a different direction, but he can he can definitely hit. Obviously, they have Bird as well at some point, so they have some, some depth as far as that spot in the lineup. Who, is there another person we're going to see this season as far as the Yankees go, guys, or, or are these three kind of the big guys that we've seen come up and, and that's going to be it? Um, I, I'll defer to Jim because okay. it's, it's his, his list. Yep. <laughs> and I was just going to say I do our Yankees list. Uh, yeah, I don't think we'll necessarily see. I mean, I just wrote about Jordan Montgomery in our pipeline inbox, and he's got him to AAA and pitch well in three starts, but he doesn't have to be on the 40-man roster this year. I don't think we necessarily see him. No, I mean, you know, they have Dietrich Enns is, is kind of a fascinating guy who will have to be on the 40-man roster, who's got a 1.62 ERA. You know, maybe we'll see Dietrich Enns coming up and getting a chance, but these are – these are the, the, the big guys uh, right now. I mean, we, the guy who, who's not on the prospect list anymore, to me, uh, you know, if you're seeing what young guys can do, you know, Chase Headley's having a, a fairly uninspiring season. Why not call Rob Refsnatter up and let him play every day at third base and see what he can do? He, he's been up at times and, and no longer qualifies as, as a prospect because he's got too many bets in the big leagues. But he, he would be the guy who, who I think deserves some, some time to show what he can do. Yeah, exciting times, and, and in a weekend where the Yankees paid tribute to the 96 team that was filled with some young players uh, for a generation, uh, it's neat to see these young players joining the, the team now. Uh, the Perfect Game All-American Classic, guys, was last weekend. I wanted to touch on that. Out in San Diego, Petco Park, the West winning the game in a rout, 13 to nothing. Um, there's some standout performances in the game. One guy we have to talk about, I think, is Hunter Green, uh, the two-way player. I guess he touched 97 on the mound, and he also had an exit velocity of 105 at the plate. That kind of sums him up. Uh, Jonathan, uh, long term, is, is pitching still where he ends up? I mean, that's what I'm, I'm hearing. There might be some teams that, you know, def, you know go, go differently. Um, and certainly how he has performed the sort of the big stages uh, while swinging the bat. He, he is a very good position player. He has a chance to be an elite-level pitcher. Uh, you know, he, he's got the fastball that you mentioned up, uh, up into the upper 90s. He's got a really good slider. He throws a changeup. He's athletic. He repeats his delivery well. So I think, I think he's a pitcher. Um, you know, and I think if you were to poll most teams, that's what they would say. Uh, but, you know, all it takes is one team to, to decide differently. Uh, uh, you know, and some of it might have to do with what he wants to do. Uh, I think he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. And if the team says, we want to take you at the top of the draft as a pitcher, I don't think he's going to be the kind of kid that says no. Um, but I think at this point, I would like to see him pitch to himself. <laughs> I think he's athletic enough where he could make that happen. He was also in the high school home run derby uh, out in San Diego uh, for the All-Star game. So he's, he spent some time out there in uh, Southern California. Jim Hunter Green was great. There were other great performances. Royce Lewis, I think two for three, a triple, uh, some stolen bases. Who stood out to you in this game um, other than Green? 
Yeah, yeah. I was just going to chip in, too. The green looked good yep. when I saw him at the Under Armour game out here. Went to the finals of the Home Run Derby, hit 98 miles an hour, which matched the highest fastballing bet I've ever seen in the Under Armour game, and hit the ball hard during the game, too. You know, I think Lewis is the clear choice. You know, he's one of the best prospects. I mean, all these guys are top prospects, but Lewis is one of the probably top five prospects for the draft, high school prospects for the draft next year. Hunter Green's number one, but you know, Lewis went two for three, three stolen bases, hit a triple. I'll be interested to see where he plays because when I was doing prep work for the Under Armour game, guys didn't really see him as a shortstop, which is where he played in the Under Armour game. They see him as more of a center fielder, but he can definitely hit and a very good athlete. Guy who, who interested me when I saw him play in the Under Armour game and he looked good again out at the perfect game game is Nick Allen, who, who's an undersized shortstop, but he can really play really nice defense. Uh, he got the Rawlings Defensive Player of the Year award before the game, made a nice play in that game. I saw him make nice plays in the Under Armour game. And, you know, for a little guy, I mean, he's not, you know, going to be a big power hitter, but he can handle the bat. He's not just one of these slappy guys who gets the bat knocked out of his hands. I, I, I liked him. Nick Allen looked good to me at the Under Armour game and performed well in the perfect game contest as well. To finish things off, guys, let's – was that something, Jonathan? I was going to just chime in. I love Nick Allen just because he yeah, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He knows it. But uh, Jim's right. The, the bat doesn't get knocked out of his hands. He's got plenty of arm for short. Um, yeah, he, uh, he He's kind of a fun guy to watch. I, I don't know how he'll be evaluated as a draft prospect because of his size, but that'll be a, an interesting one to watch. Yeah, let's uh, finish things up, guys. We go from the prep ranks to the college ranks, uh, still looking ahead to the 2017 draft class. The U.S. Collegiate National Team had a busy summer. Uh, they went to Taiwan, Japan, Cuba. They won a series in Cuba. They've never done that before. Uh, overall, a successful summer, um, and it's more Beyond the team game, obviously playing for your country is a big deal, and these guys get to do that. But it's also a chance for, for them to show off the individual skills. Uh, Jim, you have a list of, of the kind of the top performers from the summer on this team on, on Pipeline.com right now, MLBPipeline.com. And it starts with Jaron Kendall, outfielder from Vanderbilt. And we talked about Dansby Swanson, a number one overall pick out of Vandy. Kendall's got a chance to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, I think he's he's going to be in that discussion for the number one overall pick. You, you compare him to Swanson, he's got better all-around tools. You know, Swanson's a shortstop, Kendall's a center uh, center fielder, so there's a, a difference there. But, uh, no, I mean, tremendous summer, led the team in hits, extra base hits, RBIs and steals, fast-twitch guy. He's got, you know, people like his approach at the plate. He's got deceptive strength. You know, maybe needs to tone down the strikeouts a little bit, plus-plus runner, easy center fielder. Strong arm for the position. Everybody, I talked to a number of cross-checkers and scouts for this. He was clear-cut, the best guy, best prospect on the team, and even more so, far and away, the best position prospect player, prospect on the team. Uh, some talented pitchers as well. You have Kyle Wright, another Vandy guy, a teammate of Kendall uh, as your number three guy. Uh, Jonathan, I know this isn't your list, but you certainly know these players. Alex Fiedo. Number two, obviously another Gator coming through after all those pitchers a year ago. Uh, could this, could he be a number one type guy too? We talked about AJ Puck all last year. He ended up not going one. Could Fiedo be number one? I think he could be in that mix, sure. Uh, and you know, he, he even last year as a sophomore was probably a more complete pitch. Well, certainly was a more complete pitcher than Puck, and and may have been the best pitcher on the staff. 
uh, you know, which says something given how much talent there was on that pitching staff. Uh, and he was, you know, in a lot of ways, Team USA's best pitcher uh, in terms of how he, you know, how, how he threw, um, led Team USA in wins and strikeouts, uh, just like he did, as Jim pointed out, to led the Gator staff uh, in those categories as well. And we're talking about a guy with a really good three-pitch mix, uh, really good stuff, but he's got deception. He throws strikes. That's what, you know, separated him from Puck. Uh, so he he has the the makings of, you know, that, that stuff plus the field for pitching. Uh, that's always going to do well uh, in the draft. And coming from that program where he'll be that Friday night starter, um, you know, I think uh, people are going to be watching him very, very carefully in the spring. There's some other Gators on this list as well, as you see the same players over uh, and over again. One other guy that that we talked about for the site earlier in the week, Jim, was was McKay uh, out of Louisville, um, and he could play both ways, another one of these two-way players. Uh, where is he most likely to end up at the next level? He's a lefty and a first baseman. Yeah, and it's, it's very much up in the air. Um, you know, it's funny. I came into this thinking he was more of a – more of a pitcher, and the more I talk to people, I found guys who liked him as a hitter. I think he could really go either way. I mean, he, he's won the John Olerud Award as the top two-way player in college in each of his first two seasons. Uh, you know, and you look at what he did during the summer. He led the team in hitting on base percentage. Talk to scouts. You think he's going to have more power if he were to focus full-time on hitting and get stronger. But then on the mound, he, he's a very polished left-hander with, with a good curveball. 88-93 with a fastball, with very good command. Uh, you know, it's it'll be very interesting to see. I don't I don't think there's much of a consensus. You, if you talk to 30 teams, it would probably be pretty close to even. You know, based on on the guys I sampled when I put this list together. And you know, it's funny. I, I did not go, obviously do this on purpose. But when I got done with the list, Tim, I, I noticed that uh, I had seven SEC guys and three ACC guys. So it was. Uh, I mean, that, those teams, those leagues, obviously dominated Team USA. But, uh, man, I stuck with the, the two power conferences for the list uh, in its entirety. All right, great stuff, guys. That brings us to the end of another great Pipeline podcast. We covered a lot of stuff here. We want to thank Nick Senzel one last time for joining us on the podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.